That'll preach, amen? Thank you, Alex, for that. So powerful. Turn with us in your Bibles to Galatians chapter four. Now, this is one of those Sundays. As you know, we all preach the same things uh, across all eight of our campuses. Uh, Today, our other seven campuses are preaching letting go of the past from Psalm 51. But since this is a special emphasis for our congregation, we're going to preach today letting go of our past identity from Galatians chapter four as we all see how the story of what God has done for us in the gospel has brought us into a family. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read from Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven this morning. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we are tempted to believe false identities about who you say that we are. And so God, instead of listening to the voices of this world, I pray that we would listen to your voice. And God, that we would understand that you have both redeemed and adopted us. And therefore, we have a mission, the visible gospel, to help those who are vulnerable, those who don't know that they're loved, to help them to know the love of a family, and ultimately to point them to the love of God. So open our ears and our hearts to you in this place today, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray these things and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. So a little context, the book of Galatians is often called the manifesto of Christian liberty. Paul talks about the gospel of grace. He sets forth to clarify that for the churches in the region of Galatia. He also does it to confront Jewish legalism. Scholars have often noted that in Romans, Paul said what he wanted to say. And so Paul carefully for us lays out the gospel in the book of Romans. Galatians is like a shorter uh, version of Romans. And in Galatians, Paul said what he felt like he had to say. There is a certain pastoral urgency and intensity to his words because he wants the churches of Galatia to understand who they are in Christ. And so the first part of the letter, he's defending the gospel of grace. The second section of the letter, which is chapter four, He is explaining the gospel of grace using powerful word pictures and metaphors for us. And then at the end of the letter, of course, he's, as he always does, applying the gospel of grace to our hearts and to our lives. But what Paul wants us to understand first and foremost is is that everybody has a story. And point number one for us today is this, is that we all have a past. We all come from somewhere. And so whether or not you were an orphan, whether or not you had a mom and dad growing up, whether or not you bounced around between different family members, no matter what, we have a backstory. This was one of the first lessons I learned in ministry. I had a youth group of a handful of kids and those kids would misbehave during Bible study every Wednesday night. And I had a hard time understanding why they would make crude jokes. They would be inappropriate. I was frustrated. Finally, my wise senior pastor said, Jay, it's because they don't have love. 
and they would rather act out and get negative attention than get no attention at all. And it was like a light bulb went on. And so all throughout ministry from 19 year olds forward for me, that's one of the reasons why I'm always asking you, tell me your story. Because everybody has a story and that story shapes them. Everybody came from somewhere. That's one of the most often asked questions I hear here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Where are you from? Do you know why? Because there's not very many OGs, as my kids said, original people from Spring Hill. Anybody born and raised in Spring Hill in the room? I'm curious, right? Yeah, yes, it's our next generation students, yes, all right? Yeah, yeah, you can, you can truly say that. But anybody who is above the age of 30, born and raised in Spring Hill, right? Maybe one or two of us, okay, not hardly any. Proves the point. We all come from somewhere and there's all a story. And the Apostle Paul had a story as well. He tells his own story in Philippians chapter three. In verse four, he says this. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, I persecuted the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So Paul's backstory was this. He was born a Jew. He was raised a Jew. He became a student under one of the leading uh, rabbinical scholars of his day. Paul knew how to do that well. And he felt like what he was doing was earning himself his way into salvation by keeping the law and by persecuting Christians. But then something happened that changed his identity forever. He encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus confronted him there. Saul, Saul, why are you, per are you persecuting me? And that changed him forever. And that's what he talks about in verse seven. But everything that was a gain to me, I considered to be loss because of Christ. In other words, the old Paul is gone. The new Paul has come. All of my accolades, all of my achievements, my resume, uh, all of that, I put aside because Christ has come into my life and he has functionally changed my identity. And what's interesting is, is the way that Paul refers and talks to about that in Galatians chapter four and chapter three. If you go back with me up into chapter three, you'll see that Paul addressed the way he used to be because his past gave him a unique point of reference for what God wanted to do in his present and future. And you see for all of us, no matter our past, no matter our story, that past isn't something that we have to ignore or deny, but it gives us an important frame of reference for what the gospel needs to do in our lives in the here and the now. In verse 23 of chapter three, Paul says, before this faith came, we were confined under the law. You see, Paul could speak to that because he knew it. It was his story. Imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ. He describes the law like we would a legal guardian over a child. And so Paul doesn't say his past was bad. What he's saying is it was incomplete without Christ. It could only carry me so far. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for through Christ, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. It's this idea of being sons of God that Paul is now gonna double click on and he's gonna explain some more. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male and female. 
since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now chapter four, verse one, he completes that thought. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. So it's fascinating, but Paul kind of paints for us a double word picture of children and slaves. He puts those two things together. And in our culture today, we might scratch our head and we're like, what do those things have in common? Here's the common thread. A slave, of course, had no rights, few privileges, but had one thing. What was that thing? Hope. Hope that one day he would be set free. Children in the first century were considered non-persons. It wasn't like our culture today, which is almost kid-centric in many suburban neighborhoods and communities. Instead, children were not considered even personhoods. Uh, to have personhood status, they, they couldn't own property, they couldn't do anything legally. So in the same way, Paul is saying, they're under a guardian or a trustee, they have few rights, they have little privilege, but they have the hope of what? Maturing to adulthood that one day they are going to be free, free to receive their inheritance, free to pursue life as they feel fit. And so that same word picture Paul uses and he applies to us, those of us who are waiting for the fulfillment of our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High King. And so for many of us, we feel like we have few privileges, we have few rights, right? But we are longing for the day when we'll understand the fullness of what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's where Paul begins for us. He helps us to understand that we all have a story and that we all have a background. And no matter the story, the point is, is that it's incomplete without the fullness of Christ. Which brings us to point two today, and it's this. It's that God rewrites our story through spiritual adoption. When Jesus Christ confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, it changed him. And when we encounter the risen Christ, it changes us. So verse four is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament because it is the gospel in a verse. It's my favorite version of the Christmas story because it is short and to the point and it fits on a Christmas card, amen? Right, pro tip, right there. But there it is, verse four. When the time, last week we talked about seasons of the soul, we talked about kairos, that's the word here. When the time came to completion, some translations say in the fullness of time or in God's perfect timing, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Think about it. God, just and gracious creator God, looked upon us hopelessly sinful men and women. And in his perfect time and in his perfect way, through his perfect son, he sent the one who could both redeem us and make us part of the family. Don't miss that. The word redeem is a legal term. Buying redemption, that God paid the price on the cross in his own son, Jesus, so that you and I could legally be made right with him. He also 
brought us into his family as sons. Now, if God had just paid the price, the penalty, that would have been enough for us to be made right with him, amen? Like we would have spent our days in eternity praising God that God legally made us right with him by forgiving our sin. But that's not all that God did. His love for us so vast, so deep, and so rich that he made a way for us to become a part of his family. And this story was important to me and my family because it lives in our home every single day. I wanna put a picture on the screen for you of the adoption of our son, Liam, in May. On the left side, you will see my wife, Tanya, and I standing in the Ministry of Women and Children in Kathmandu, Nepal, with two government officials and a manila envelope. Do you know what that envelope has in it? Our adoption decree are documents that declared that legally our son, right, was now a part of our family. And that was an important part of the process. That was a milestone for us. But do you know what our son didn't have any frame of reference for yet? Was that on the other side of the world in a place called Nashville, Tennessee, he had three sisters waiting to welcome him home. Now, prior to this moment, I like to joke, Liam didn't know a mother. Now with a mom and three big sisters, he now had four mothers, right, ladies? He might be the most mothered kid in Middle Tennessee with this arrangement that's set up in our home. But you see, he had no frame of reference for the fact that he had a family. And so there's the legal aspect of what God has done for us, which is true and good and necessary and right. And yet there's so much more because God loves us so much that he sits the lonely in family, Psalm 68, six, amen? That he is the father to the fatherless. And so both of those dimensions work together in understanding our salvation. And in that next, uh, very next verse, Paul says, so God The Father sends the Spirit to point to the work that the Son has done. So get this, right? The whole Trinity involved in our spiritual adoption. God the Father sends the Spirit, and that Spirit leads our hearts to cry out, what? Abba, Father, Daddy. And some commentators have noted that sometimes we kind of misinterpret that as like a coo, right? That's like the infant saying, Dada, right? Which there's a dimension of that that's true but it's also what we call primal scream theology. It means you can cry out to your dad because you're holding on to him for dear life. Daddy, I need you. Daddy, your presence, your provision is what I need in my life. You have that level of relationship with your father. It's why we can boldly pray. It was why it was scandal that Jesus taught us to call God Father because we could cry out to him in that way. And when you are in Christ, that's the depth and the level of relationship that you have. To cry out and say, Abba, Father, you're the one I'm holding on to. You are the one that I desperately need. I love that in 1 John 3, 1, it says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. That is what we are. You see, that is our identity. And that is at your your best moment, remembering who you are. Because that, in essence, lays the foundation for everything that we become. Being secure in our identity and our relationship with the Father. J.I. Packer, the theologian, puts it this way. What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. 
But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for a father. The richest answer I know is that we get to call God our father. Which leads us to point three this morning. So now we live and we tell the gospel story. We are orphans no more. There are a handful of people in this church who if we said, are you an orphan? They would say, yeah, biologically, I don't know my mother and my father, and so I would be an orphan. But if I was to ask you as a congregation, spiritually, where are the orphans in this worship center today? Where should your hand go? Up in the air, let me see them, right? Every single one of us, because every single one of us was spiritually an orphan before Christ found us, before the gospel came to us. And so we resonate deeply with vulnerable children because we recognize that spiritually we were in the same boat, we were in the same condition. We are no longer slaves, but sons, verse seven says. And if sons, we are also heirs. So let's talk about that sons thing because one time one of my daughters said, hey dad, why doesn't it say sons and daughters? Well, in our culture today, we could properly interpret it that way, sons and daughters. But in the first century, it was only sons. Why? Because only sons had the right of inheritance. And so yes, as we've already read, Paul says, Jew, Greek, slave free, male or female, the gospel elevates us all to the condition of sons with the full right of inheritance. So turn to your neighbor and say, good morning, brother. And I know some of you who are female, you're like, that felt a little awkward to say that, right, to another female, but that's the literal interpretation. That's what God has done for you in the gospel. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your sin. What matters is Jesus and the transformation that he's brought in your heart and in your life. Not only are you sons, but you are heirs. And let me tell you, it's hard for you, it's hard for me to even imagine all that that contains. Because we live in the here and now because we're bogged down by the frustrations and the brokenness of this world. It's hard for our mind to see. It's hard for our eye to grasp. It's hard for our ear to hear and understand all that God has in store for us. And one of the reasons we struggle with our identity is because we're caught between the now and the not yet. This is who we are, but we haven't realized the fullness of our inheritance yet. And I have another word picture that's helpful to me in this sense that comes from the adoption of our son. Here is a picture of us leaving his orphanage in Kathmandu, Nepal. For dear life. Why? Because that little cinder block orphanage, three stories tall on a corner in Kathmandu was the entire world that he knew. He could not imagine at that point in his life what life was like anywhere else. Again, he had no idea that halfway across the world he had sisters, he had a bed, he had food, he had clothes, he had presents, he had a church family that was waiting to welcome him home. In the same way, so many of us, we cling to our past because it's all that we know, because we can't grasp the inheritance, what God has in store for us. So for us, this is a picture of the gospel, this is a picture of hope, this is a picture of God's promises. Because how do we know what's outside the little world we've created for ourselves? God's word, his truth. 
to know that he keeps every one of his promises and to read and recite those in scripture, reminding ourselves, this is who I really am. This is what God has in store for me. And so for us, orphan, foster, and vulnerable children ministry, that is gospel. It's gospel ministry. And some people sometimes wanna get into this debate about which is more important, the ministry or the message, the message or the ministry. And my answer is yes, because as we realize what God has done for us and the riches of the gospel, we realize that we are orphans no more. And so we live to tell the message of our spiritual adoption that God rescued us out of whatever path we were on, whatever journey we were taking, and he brought us into his family. And at the same time for us as churches, as a community, adoption, orphan care, fostering, these things are visible expressions of the gospel. Because every time we welcome a child in and we love a child well, every time we point them to the hope and the love that Christ has had for us and we tell them that's why we do this, that's a chance. It's a gospel opportunity. You talk about gospel conversations. Why would you do this? Because God first loved me. Why would you do this? Because God first loved us. And we want every child to know that they are loved. Many of you know that our family participates along with about 16 other families in our church in the Safe Families Program. Here's a picture of Skylar, who you guys have seen on and off with us since she was six weeks old. We've had about five or six placements with her now. And one of the things, like the Ruddicks in the video, that speaks powerfully to us is how our children have just a fierce love for this precious little girl. Look at those brown eyes. I mean, how could you not, right? And so Lexi, our 17-year-old, has taught Skylar this little saying, this little call and response. It's one of the best gospel messages that I've ever heard. She's two and a half, so like every two and a half year old, right, she vacillates between throwing a temper tantrum one moment to laughing hysterically the next, right? She has her ups and downs, just like with any toddler. But Lexi will look at Skylar and she'll say, Sky, are you a mess? She's taught Sky to say, no. She'll look at Skylar and say, Skylar, well, what are you? And Skylar will look her back in the eye and say, I'm beautiful. Lexi will say, what else are you, Skylar? And she'll say, I'm precious. And then Lexi will say, what else, Skylar? And Skylar will say, I'm loved. That's it. That's what we want every boy and girl to know. The love of Jesus Christ that God first loved us and so now we love them. Some of you in this room are called to adopt and foster. Some of you will be called to help preserve families through ministries like Safe Families. Some of you will be called to get outside of your comfort zone and to take these steps. All of us are called to be a part of this ministry and to support it through prayer, through your giving, through finding a way to be a part of that mosaic that points these vulnerable children in our culture to the cross. And that's why today we come to the table that we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper because what God has done for us in Jesus has made a place for us at the table. Will you bow your heads with me this morning as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper? In this moment, this is a powerful reminder to us that we have legally been made right 
with God through the blood and body of Jesus Christ, that God paid the price that we could not pay so that we could be in right standing with him. But just as every table is, it's a sign of relationship that God has created room for us to be sons and daughters who are welcomed to the feast. And so for you and me, we take this meal, not as outsiders, not as orphans any longer, but as sons and daughters who have our place, a place at the table. And so Amanda Welton is gonna come, an adoptive mother herself, and sing beautiful words over us. Come to the table. And if you know the Lord Jesus, then this moment is for you. Prayerfully prepare your hearts as our deacons bring the elements. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gospel of grace by which Paul was pointing out that we have been made right with you and that we can become part of your family. And so Father, thank you for Jesus who made this possible. May we never take it for granted. And it's in his name we pray. Down and be set free. Come to the table. 